What's up, you guys, and welcome back to another episode of the 90s Called Podcast. I'm your host, Jess. Thanks for joining me today. And today, we're going to our top two Nickelodeon, or kids, really Nickelodeon, game shows. That is in my ranking list. We are going to be talking about Guts and Global Guts today. It was probably, I mean, it was really hard for me to decide whether or not this is going to be the top one or it'd be the second one, but I think the top one ended up edging me out simply because of the theme of the show. But this show was really my show, okay? It was a show that made it that it really spoke to the competitiveness in myself, the competition and the competitive edge that everybody had to show. It was one of the shows that I absolutely died wanting to be on and could never go on. But if they made it again, I would sign up for it as soon as possible. So we are talking about Guts, or is actually stylized as Nickelodeon Guts, where it had two durations called Nickelodeon Guts and Global Guts. Global Guts was during season four, and there was also a really, really short-lived My Family's Got Guts show that happened, but no one really remembers that, so we're not really going to talk about it. But Nickelodeon Guts was the game show that aired on Nickelodeon from 1992 to 1995, and it was hosted by Michael Malley and officiated by Mo Quirk, or Moira Mo Quirk, but I would have it as Mo. Fun fact, nobody in her life actually calls her Mo. The only person who ever did was Michael Malley for this show. And there's a very good chance that I'm not going to refer to him as anything but Michael Malley, just because it's a really cool name and I like saying it that way. And 90% sure most people my age would know him either from Guts or from Glee. So anytime I anytime I see him anywhere, I'm like, oh, that's Michael Malley. Like, I never actually say his a shortened version name. It's just that. So, The uh, Glowing Guts had it where it was a competition-based show, literally about any sport that you could think of that was an actual sport and some that were made up, where kids competed to see who would get the most points within each sport competition that they did, and then they would go and face the thing at the end called the aggro crag, where they would race up the face of a mountain and see who would get to the top, and you, if you won, you want a piece of the aggro crag. But anyway... Each episode featured three young athletes competing against each other in four extreme versions of athletic events, culminating in a fifth and final round, which set three competitors on a race up an artificial mountain to declare the victor. That's the general gist of the show, in a more succinct way of explaining it than I just did. So, the show was filmed at Soundstage 21 at Nickelodeon Studios at Universal Studios Floria on a set dubbed the Extreme Arena. So the Extreme Arena literally may as well have been, in my kid brain, an Olympic-sized set where it had areas that were turf playing fields, a pool, a racetrack, and an obstacle course, as well as the aggro crag. And thinking about it now, I'm actually very, very impressed with how that show was able to get that much stuff in one set. And the thing is, is it it could have been more than one set, and I just don't know it, but it's incredibly impressive that they're able to fit all of that into one area. So season one began taping August 12th, 1992, where reruns were shown on Nickelodeon from January 15th, 1996 until January 31st, 1999. And then it moved into Nick Gass March 1st, 1999 until the channel closed down in 2007. 90% or actually maybe all of the shows that I mentioned in the past couple of episodes that I've done on the podcast they were on Nick Gas and then ended up all being shut down by 2007. At least the channel did. Other shows had a good long run on it, but may have stopped before the 2007 ending. Every now and again, 
it has been aired in reruns on Teen Nick since January 1st, 2008. But that also depends on what you're watching it on. Because you did have it where you had the Splat, you had the 90s or all that, you had Nick Rewind. It would show on there, but it's not really anywhere that you can find online now unless you're looking at YouTube. They do also have Pluto TV's Nick Games channel, which sometimes it shows it. But then they removed the channel in 2020 after the overhaul channel lineup of Pluto TV. And now, as of 22, the show airs as part of Nick Games' block on Pluto TV channel 1016, excuse me, No Parents Allowed. So, there's a couple of different places that you can watch it. I did watch the episode, a couple of episodes recently, and this show still holds up in the way that I really wanted to watch it. I wanted to watch it. In the way that I watched it before, where they were all things that I wish I could do. And that's actually a fun fact for the show is the point of the show, or at least the show was made specifically because the producer of the show was never able to dunk a basket and he wanted to be able to have a chance that everybody could do that. So when he got the idea of, hey, we need to let kids be able to do these things in sports, how are we going to do it? It became the idea of you're going to be harnessed into a bungee-like thing where you're then going to be lit into the air and you're able to dunk baskets on whatever contraption that they made for it. Albert Hecht, the producer, is even quoted as saying it was his biggest fantasy in the book Slimed, an oral history of Nickelodeon's Golden Age, where he thought it'd be a fantastic idea to help kids realize their similar ambitions. So, like I said, many of the courses and guts were actually involving contestants that were wired to bungee cord harnesses, and that allowed them to be able to make the different moves and jumps and everything. And that's also a way that they made sure to keep everybody safe. There was a lot of if you think about it, there's a lot of ways that that show could have gone wrong if you ever watched it in the 90s, especially any of the kayaking, swimming kind of things, the go-kart things, like things like, it, it could have gone wrong in a lot of ways, so there was a lot of ways that they made sure to keep the kids safe as well. So in this show, it had, uh, each episode was a half hour, there were three participants who were in the blue team, the red team, or the purple team, or at least represented those colors, where they would compete against each other in four events that were based on the extreme versions of skills in popular sports like basketball, baseball, football, and soccer. And most of those events included the use of the harnesses, like I said. Others made use of a wave pool, and sometimes the racing track was used. During the show's run, more creative and ambitious events were developed, including a fabricated scope, ski slope, ski slope, whatever, ski slope, sorry about that. So you can just imagine being in what is probably... A, the size of a concert arena, I might be overselling it in that point, but the size of a concert arena with an area for, like a racetrack that goes around, like a racing track, um, going around the outskirts of it, and then somewhere you have a basketball area, a swimming area, and like an obstacle course area, and then somewhere else in there you also still have the area that's going to have the aggro crag, and where Mo is at some point on the field, Sometimes she seems like she's in a box, like in one of those uh, boxes you see on a f uh, at a football field. And then you did have the stands where the where the audience was, so it's a lot of stuff going on at once. So every time that they would do the event, the competitors were awarded points based on their performance in each event. First place in the event was 300 points, second place got 200 points, and third place got 100 points. In general, if there's ever a tie, the players involved each received the higher placing points, but if two or more players were disqualified or failed to finish or failed to score, they each received the third place points. 
every now and again, you would see a kid really struggling to get some of the points to get on the board. A lot of times, I would see it on the basketball one. Now, this is specific to basketball. There usually were two events for the slam dunk one for basketball. There was one where they would jump off a contraption, bounce to the floor, bounce back up, and try to do a slam dunk in their own designated hoop. And then there was one where one person had the ball, and they would go maybe eight or nine times. One person had the ball, and then all three would jump down and then jump up, and then one person was trying to get the ball into the hoop while the other two were trying to get it out of the way. So there were two. there's different variations on the different events that went through, so it wouldn't be the same thing each time. It wouldn't be seen as boring. But it was, it was always interesting to see it when they actually directly competed against each other compared to going one at a time. But it was also an interesting way to fill time for the 30-minute episode as well when you did watch them go one at a time for each event. Obviously, it was heavily edited down for some things that went on to make sure it could fit into the 30-minute time slot, including commercials. But it, it's a good, it was a good way to keep the show's pacing for what it did. So, the player with the most points after all five events won the game and received a gold guts medal and a piece of the aggro crag. Second place received a silver medal, and third place received a bronze medal. The and then uh, the other thing that made it that it was interesting was that it treated the contestants as if they were like legitimate athletes. And I'm not saying that they weren't, because if you're on the show, you had to f- follow some sort of a physical questionnaire, physical ability test to even go on the show. But they had it where it was like a sports profile. So in between the breaks of the events, there'd be the segment "Spill Your Guts." where it was like an interview with one of the hosts in at least the first two seasons, and it was like a pre-recorded segment. In seasons three and four, the contestants introduced themselves, and then during Global Guts, it was a flag of the player's country was shown, followed by the contestant introducing themselves. Then the location where the contestant was from was shown on a map, and then it was given more information about what is it that they did. So because they did have Global Guts, it ended up happening where non-English-speaking contestants introduced themselves in their native language, and then an English-language voiceover dubbed over their voices. So here's where things get interesting. All, the thing that most people know about Guts is that when you would finish the different events, you would then go to the aggro crag. If you talk about Guts in any shape or form, someone's going to mention the aggro crag. And the aggro crag was a fake mountain, basically. And by fake, I mean it literally was made from styrofoam and such. At the end of the show, that the contestants had to climb up and navigate through a bunch of fake boulders and wires and, not shelves, geez, ledges and puffs of glitter to get to touch actuators that would light up to show they went in a certain path, and then they would get to the top of the mountain. They had their own section and their own color that they had to do, but they would all do it at the same time. The aggro crag was actually called the aggro crag for seasons one and two. It was called the mega crag for season three. And then the super aggro crag for Global Guts. So, in a more succinct way of explaining it, the object of the aggro crag was for all three players to race to the top of the mountain while hitting a series of actuators, or buttons that shone a light beacon when pressed, along the way to the top. If a player missed any of the actuators along the way, a spotter at the top was going to prevent the player from being able to finish until they went back down and activated whatever it was that they missed. Each player had a separate but identical side of the mountain, and they weren't permitted to cross into other people's paths or disrupt anyone else's progress. The climb was made more difficult by strobe lights simulating lightning, rock foam avalanches, 
flying snow, which was the glitter that I had basically just mentioned, the confetti, and nuclear flying crystals in the form of balls are each triggered either at random or when the player would step on a specific part of the crag. The first player to actually touch the top of the... Wow, I was about to say top of the actuator. Jeez. The first player that was able to touch the top of the aggro crag and get all the actuators done on the way up earned 725 points to their total score. The second and third place team people would earn 550 and 375 points. So, there was always, always a chance for people who weren't winning to be able to soar all the way to the winning spot because they were able to just beat the aggro crag. So you could be really sucking through most of the day and then make it to the win. Mark Schultz was even quoted as saying, for the aggro crag, we had elaborate harnesses of cable on the underside of the Guts Mountain that ran all these actuator infrared beams through activators, much like when you walk into a grocery store and the door opens for you. This would all be run to the MIDI sampler. So if a kid interrupted a laser beam and it triggered a bunch of styrofoam boulders, I would have an earthquake sound effect that the kid would trigger and the MIDI sampler would play the effect live on air. Albie Hecht, who is the one who came up with the idea of the show in general, would say, Then we did the pilot and we said we were going to have a place that becomes a character in the show. That became the Extreme Arena, which was crafted beautifully. For the end game, we came up with the biggest challenge we could. Magda Leolis was an athlete, and she hooked up the idea for the crag and mountain climbing. She came up with the term aggro crag. Kids still email Michael Malley and me looking for a piece of it. So here's the very interesting thing about the aggro crag as well that is probably going to crush a lot of people now that I'm mentioning it, is, especially because I really, really wanted a piece of it myself, is that you weren't allowed to keep the piece of the aggro crag or the glowing piece of the radical rock that you were given. It was just a set piece. You had to give it back. You never could keep it. And as, as ooh, it, it really sucked when I found that out. I thought for somewhere in my little kid brain, I thought that if you won a piece of the aggro crag, you got to keep it because I thought that they made multiple pieces of the aggro crag for people to actually win to take back as a souvenir like how if you were on legends of the hidden temple you would get the shirt that you wore i thought it was something like that so that really sucks that they didn't get to keep it however i did read somewhere that when global guts was being shut down by nickelodeon studios that people did take parts of the set and parts of the aggro crag and pieces of the rock and stuff like that and rumor has it that someone sold a part of the aggro crag, at least the piece of the radical rock you got as the trophy on eBay some odd years ago for, I think, $2,000. So if it's out there, I'm sure someone's got a piece of it somewhere. That'd be a really cool piece of Nickelodeon history if you held on to it. So there was also suggesting the best way to go through the aggro crag. So climbing the 28-foot-tall studio rock known as aggro crag was best handled by touch. There was a contestant, whose last name was Morris, who had competed on the show, said that the amount of lights, confetti, fog machines, and squirting water meant that the players could barely see anything in front of their faces. There's just so much coming at you, and you're like, oh my god, where's that button? So that was actually from Anna Mercedes Morris, who was on an episode of Global Guts, and she had the nickname, actually, The Roadrunner. So here's the interesting thing about if you're a contestant on Guts and Global Guts, is that if you were on the show, you had some sort of a nickname. And usually it was a nickname where you 
had it alliterated to your last name. So it was like if your name was John Doe, then your name would probably be John the Danger Doe or something like that. Or it would be alliteration off of your first name. I don't know what I would do for John off the top of my head. But it would be something like that. And the thing is, is that when it came to the point of making the nicknames for people for that show, it wasn't actually always the, it wasn't almost never the kids who made the nicknames. It was that the producers made it for them. There was a kid, what was his name? I read it somewhere before. There was a kid named Sean Michael Robinson who was on Global Guts or Guts. I just keep calling it Global Guts. That's the one I remember most recently where he was called Sean the Rebel Robinson, and he was never one to have said that he would have lived up to that nickname. It was one that the producers gave him because he was more of a shyer kid, and he wanted to be on the show because he thought it would be a really fun time and a good opportunity, and he had a little bit of a social anxiety that he didn't know he had at the time, really, or at least back then we didn't really make a name for it, and when he was called the Rebel... Kids at the school actually bullied him for it because he was never really known as a rebel on the show. So, you know, it, it's, it's it's interesting to see what they come up with, but I'm sure some of those kids who were, re- were really hyped up to be on the show as well, you could tell just by looking at some of them, they were the ones who probably took P.E. a little bit too seriously. So, you know, take that with what you will. I'm just saying... I probably would have tried really hard to come up with a really cool nickname for myself if I was ever on that show. Okay, so going back to the aggro crag, I'm sorry, I kind of sidebarred a little bit there. Um, There's a lot of different reasons as to why you would automatically get into third place if you messed up on the aggro crag. Because like I said, it's from the quote that I said, it's hard to figure out where you're going, what you're doing, and everything that's flying at you. So you can imagine even looking at the aggro crag for the show and the brilliant blue and red and purple that was mixed together. It was also dark in there. Like, they would kind of lower down the lights and make it seem like a really formidable thing that you're trying to climb up. And then you had the goggles that were on your face and you couldn't really see much, especially if you're a glasses wearer. And then you had the glittery bombs, and then you had the confetti, and then you had the fake boulders. So it was actually pretty easy to miss an actuator from all the times that we had watched the show. And believe me, I'd be screaming at the TV at the top of my lungs if the person that I wanted to win, which no surprise was probably on the red team, was competing, and they were missing an actuator, and I really wanted them to win. I'd be like, what the hell are you doing? It's right there. What did you do that for? Blah, blah, blah. But anyway, anyway. These are how you can be automatically disqualified slash automatically put into third place. If you cross it to another player's section on the mountain, which it doesn't even actually have like a barrier or anything that keeps you from going in it. You just have to make sure you're aware of where you're at because, again, all the colors are ombre into each other and you only have a certain amount of space that you can go. So good luck trying to figure out where you're at. If you hit someone else's actuator, have only seen that happen maybe a few times. If you reach the top of the aggro crag by grabbing a handrail, if you made a false start at the beginning of the climb, if you finished the climb without lighting every single one of your own actuators, and if you didn't step on all the boulders in the aggro crag's boulder canyon section, which was actually only introduced in season two, but, you know, there's a lot of, I want to say there's a lot of difficulties to winning it, but just in general, it added to the difficulty of the crag, and that was just really fun to watch. It was... And it got your heart pumping. It was like you were actually there competing along with them in the 
different events they did. And you can't tell me that you didn't think, hey, I can do that jump better than this kid. I can do this obstacle course better than this could, kid could, which that was the one that I really jumped on. Anything else, I'd be like, eh, maybe. But the obstacle course, when some of these kids moved incredibly slow, yeah, I could definitely beat those. So the increased point structure in Agrocrag allowed players to overcome a deficit of as much as 300 points to win, despite earlier mistakes, like I said before. So you could be biting it and then finally win at the end. But the point structure for the Agrocrag eliminated the possibility of a tie, except in the very unlikely event that two players who are already tied are each disqualified during the Agrocrag and then each get third place points. While dual disqualifications did happen during the show's run, it never resulted in a tie. And just for added understanding of the aggro crag, the total height of the aggro crag was 28 feet, and the mega crag, as well as the super aggro crag on Global Guts, was actually 30 feet tall. So the highest amount of points that a contestant could win would be 1,925 points, and that was actually attained several times throughout the show's run. So in 1993, at the start of the show's second season, Nickelodeon aired a one-hour special known as Nickelodeon Guts All-Stars, where the three best contestants from the previous previous season, Mike Superman Schmidt, Jaina the Warrior Waring, and Kelly the Maniac Marchuka, each got the perfect score, and they competed against each other for a college scholarship and an All-Star Guts trophy. The one-hour special featured seven events plus the aggro crag, and they also had five new events, which were later introduced into the second season of the show, and an extended version of basic training, which was pretty much their training to get onto the show and to compete on the show, that only ever happened in that special. In the award ceremony, each contestant of the Nickelodeon Guts All-Stars received a Nickelodeon Guts All-Stars plate along with a prize money for a college scholarship. Third place received a $1,000 college scholarship, second place received a $1,500 college scholarship, and the winner received a $2,500 college scholarship. In 1994, Sony Wonder released a VHS based on the special, which featured special guest commentaries by the Super Bowl champion Lawrence Taylor. And the thing is, is that I vaguely, vaguely remember that being a thing. I sort of remember the basic training of it, but I don't... I Okay, I'll put it this way. I wish that they did more specials like that when it came to Guts because, quite frankly, my memory typically sticks more into Global Guts than Guts because when it came to that point, is during that point in the 90s is when us kids were really starting to get an understanding of what the Olympics were, or at least maybe that's just the me thing because I didn't really get the Olympics beforehand. I was just like, oh, we're all competing in different events around the world for gold medal and we want USA to win because we're USA yay like that was literally my thought process of the Olympics I really didn't get it but with global guts being a thing that was kind of like a mini kids Olympics so that's when I started to kind of really actually understand what was going on so watching all the different countries compete against each other in those kid Olympic games that's really what got me into understanding the sports in that aspect so if anyone ever brings up guts it's the first thing that I think of. I was like, oh, you mean Global Guts? Because that aired for one season, but it may as well have been the entire show for me at that point. So we're going to segue into this conversation. So Global Guts was actually Nickelodeon's final season of the show, which sucks that it was because it's it's a Guts is a really good show, especially if you're a very competitive kid. You got your energy out with doing it. And if you 
were able to play the sports the way you wanted to and tweaked it to act as if you were on guts that became really fun at recess and pe and any after school kind of playing that you did my friends and i did that all the time we would watch guts like all summer and then when we got back to school and we were playing during recess we would pretend that we were on guts and global guts but anywho global guts feature competitors from various countries including the united states mexico great britain israel germany spain Portugal, and the Commonwealth of Independent States, or CIS, which consisted of the countries of Georgia, Kazakhstan, Russia, and Ukraine. Although each country had multiple contestants, no country was ever represented twice in a single episode except for the Special Olympic episode, because I had two U.S. contestants. Each country had its own team of broadcasters, um, and okay, obviously, Michael Malley retained his role for the U.S. broadcast, and the format remained identical to the original version, but the Mega Crag was updated to the Super Aggro Crag. And in the Spill Your Guts segment, the non-English speaking contestants spoke in their own language with interpreters speaking over their lines. So, I had absolutely no idea that Global Guts was aired in different countries. And you would think I would be smart enough to realize that, because why would they just put a monopoly on that in just the U.S. if they were going to have people from those other countries represented on the show? Why that didn't make any sense to me, I don't know. But it did actually air in Germany, Israel, Mexico, Portugal, Russia, Spain, Ukraine, and the U.K., or Great Britain, if you want to put it that way. And it did also get aired in Brazil and Indonesia, despite the fact that they didn't have any countries that were represented in the games that they played. So the medal presentations for Global Guts were accompanied by the raising of the flags and the playing of the national anthem of the winning country and had a victory lap by all three contestants draped in the flags of their home countries. And a medal count was also tabulated at the beginning of each episode, similar to the Olympics. So being completely serious, that's probably why I remember Global Guts more than anything else, is because I remember the victory lap that they did with the country's flags over their shoulders. And I remember that specifically because I wanted to be able to do that. And it seems kind of silly that it's what I wanted to do, is that I literally just wanted to take the, the flag of the U.S., hook it over my shoulders, and run a lap around a track. That just seemed really fun to me. So being able to live vicariously through the kids on the show to be able to do it, that, you know, that caught my attention. So one of the interesting things, too, to note is two of the contestants on the show are actually two very famous people in their own right. So AJ McLean of the Backstreet Boys, he was a contestant on Guts, and so was the actor Mike Vogel. He was a contestant on Guts at some point as well. I knew about AJ McLean because you can't really be a Backstreet Boys fan or know about the Backstreet Boys without knowing that he was on Guts at any point or another, but I had no idea Mike Vogel was on it too. I'm looking for their episodes. It's probably on YouTube somewhere. I don't remember how well they did, but, you know, I would like to see it again. Now, the important thing to note too is most Nickelodeon shows in the 90s at some point got their own video game. I, okay, Rugrats had their own video games everywhere to the point that if they made a new Rugrats video game now I would probably play it so long as it's not off of the recent Rugrats and that is a another conversation that I'm going to have in the Rugrats episode that we do for the podcast but my favorite Rugrats video game (coughs) excuse me was either the one that I played on GameCube that had to do with the 
fortress type castle in the backyard. I can't remember the name. Royal Ransom. It was either Rugrats Royal Ransom, Rugrats in Paris on Nintendo 64, or Rugrats Scavenger Hunt on Nintendo 64. That's literally not the point of this episode, but I wanted to put that out there. My point being is, and this is also probably why I remember Global Guts so well, is that there was a video game that was made specifically for Guts that came out on the SNES, or if you pronounce it this way, the Super NES. It was made in 1994, where one or two players, because it was only a two-player game back on the, the SNES, one or two players competed in any of the events that were on the TV show, including the Agro Crag, and the game was based on the actual footage of the show and contained film contestants in it. I remember... I could not do anything past that in that game, past the obstacle course. I could not figure out how to do it. I couldn't figure out how to actually get good at it. I couldn't figure out how to do anything, and I was disappointed with the game simply because of that. I, if I played it again, I probably could figure it out. The graphics were great for you know the time that it was for the SNES, but I was frustrated that it was a show that I loved, that I would love to play a video game for, and I couldn't do anything more than a part of an obstacle course. As far as I can tell from my research for the video game on YouTube and in other areas, a lot of people had the same issue where they loved the graphics, the gameplay wasn't great, and there, it, it kind of fell into obscurity in terms of Nickelodeon-themed video games. Because I remember, like I said, the Rugrats games, the Hey Arnold games that were on the computer, and the, oh, I just had it, and the Rocco game for the SNES. Oh, and Tiny Toons. A lot more than I remembered Guts. To the point that when I, I only remembered that Guts had a video game when I was researching this. Kind of says enough about it. But, you know, had to throw that in there too. So then for a long, long time, Guts went into essentially an obscurity. Where if you were a 90s kid and you remembered it, you remembered it. But it wasn't aired anywhere else. So when it stopped airing its reruns in 2007, it kind of went nowhere. And then it came back in 2008 called My Family's Got Guts. And I remember watching a couple of episodes of it. But I never got into it enough to want to watch the whole show. And I'm pretty sure it's because I didn't like the fact, and I still don't really like the fact, that it was teams of families doing it, parents and kids, when to me, Guts and Global Guts was all about having the kids do it. But because it is part of the Guts franchise, I'm going to give a brief, you know, background on this show as well. So, My Family's Got Guts was like, unlike the original Guts, where it followed a tournament-style structure of 12 teams being narrowed down to 6 during 6 preliminary episodes, and then 3 in 3 semifinal episodes, and the final teams competing in the hour-long Agro Bowl. The preliminaries competed of 2 events and then the Agro Crag. And then points also didn't determine the winner. Each team that's a point ahead of the other is worth a 10-second head start in the aggro crag. And then in the semifinals, there are three events before the aggro crag, and they're more difficult than the previous round. And the aggro crag was also more elaborate and challenging where the maximum head start was 10 seconds. So, you can kind of tell from my tone of voice that I didn't like the changes that they made to it. I didn't like the fact that they made it the teams going against each other to then do the preliminaries and the semifinals and the finals. I didn't like that they changed it to the entire family. I didn't like that they 
made it that you didn't really get points. It's just whoever got in first got a 10-second head start to try and get up the aggro crag. It was just too much of it that changed. And I didn't like that. And I didn't watch it very much. And I'm actually shocked to figure out while doing research is that they actually had two seasons of this show when I thought it only had the one. And apparently they only had the second season show in Australia or maybe in other countries. But it never aired in the U.S. And I don't know why that's shocking. If it's shocking to some people, it's not shocking to me whatsoever. Anywho, they had a bunch of different preliminary events where you had the Sky Slam, where you had the people from two different teams compete in the basketball challenge where they're connected to the bungee cords, where before slam dunking baskets, the teammate holding the ball could call a defense from the other teammate to help block the opposition for a slam dunk. And a slam dunk was worth 10 points, and whoever had the most points at the end won of 90 seconds won. Not my favorite. Some of the semifinal events were called the Air Slalom, where one player from each team is strapped into a snowboard, one is standing on the launch pad, and the two remaining players are attached to ropes that connect to the snowboard to help steer, and the team must steer the snowboard around as many flags as possible, and each gate cleared is worth 10 points. I'm sure they did something similar to that in Rocket Power. I'm either thinking of that or one of the 1080 and SSX snowboard games that I've played forever and ever, and I'm just conflating the two because that sounded very familiar in that aspect, but not really... And anything else. Um, and then they did also have the aggro bowl events, which were like the mile high triple jump, where a contestant participated for each team and only one co- person competed in that one. Each contestant would clear a high jump bar and two hurdles by jumping off the ground with the help of a bungee cord. And the contestant then must take a sticky marker, jump off a platform, and attempt to paste it on a vertical wall, where each bar, hurdle, and vertical foot on the leap cleared is worth 10 points. Then you also had things like the alley-oop, where a player needed to toss basketballs from the ground up to their partners jumping off platforms and then catch them and throw them into a central hoop, where each basket was worth 10 points and whoever had the most at the end is 90 seconds wins. Now that one, I remember very being very similar to regular guts, where it was instead of it being that you got a ball tossed to you to do the jump, it was on the platform with you and you jumped off the platform, bounced up, and then you did the dunking basket. But, you know, they had to change things to make them a little updated for My Family Got Guts. And then at the end, of course, they would have the aggro crag. And that would happen where the aggro crag, well, this time around, was 22 feet tall. And you had to go to the top to, you know, win the competition. But in the preliminary episodes, it required two people to climb the aggro crag, where one team had to climb up their side of the mountain through the ice surface switchbacks, a set of wobbly wedges that they need to go around. They had to go over the skeleton stalagmites and activate the actuators, go to Avalanche Peak, and, you know, get to the top. The semifinal, uh, semifinal episodes had all four players climb to the top of the crag. And then in the aggro bowls, a control panel had been placed at the start of the crag caverns where the third player from each team could control additional snow and hail that would challenge the opponents on the other teams as they try to make it to the top of the aggro crag. Much like regular guts, for every person team that won, they received a white piece of the aggro crag, and the champions of the tournament received all three, including a considerably larger third piece, which we put together to form a miniature aggro crag as a trophy, along with a grand, tri- grand prize of a trip on the Nickelodeon family cruise. So, like I said, that show, 
the family's got guts one it wasn't the best show it ended up only airing one season in the u.s and i like i said i don't remember very much of it whatsoever i vaguely remember watching a episode but nothing really could beat guts for me like the regular guts like that was the best one ever of the iterations of it i did like global guts again which is why i usually refer to the show as global guts but it was it was the first one that really got me in fun fact though is that my family's got guts is the last nickelodeon show to be filmed at nickelodeon studios at universal studios florida it was produced three years after nickelodeon studios shut its doors so basically as much as i dislike it it's the last piece of like the real 90s Nick that we had in terms of shows being filmed at Nickelodeon Studios. Or at least in Universal Studios Florida because it was filmed after Nickelodeon Studios shut down. I'm really throwing that in there as a fun fact because if you look at Nickelodeon now, it's a bunch of sitcoms and cartoons. Which is not that weird for Nickelodeon because it, it was sitcoms and cartoons in the 90s as well. But... You did also have the game shows that kind of offset them as well. So you had a little bit of everything that you could watch. Some other bits of trivia for the show is that the 1993 All-Star special never re-ran on Nick Gass. Mostly because it was like an hour long instead of the usual half hour. And then they did also have the 1995 special, The Making of Global Guts, The Road to the Extreme Arena, which only aired on special days and was never released on VHS or DVD. And it's a Nickelodeon show that has never seen a DVD release. A few episodes of Global Guts were available to buy on iTunes, but were since removed. There's one episode from the original series, which was Season 2's Angela vs. Luke vs. Natalie, that is missing. It's not on any streaming services, and it was never rerun on Nick Gas. It was last rerun on October 25th, 1998. It's been suggested, but not actually confirmed, that the reason the episode is missing is due to the black eye that Natalie, the purple player, got before the episode was taped in a basketball accident. With this show, and like a lot of other Nickelodeon game shows, it was actually taped generally at the same time. So it was three episodes were often shot in a day, and the entire tape date was indicated by the shirt that Mike was wearing, as well as the events that were used. So, as you can probably guess, it's that if you were doing certain events, you didn't want to have to take it all down and then build it back up to do certain ones at a time. So if you were filming three episodes, you would could easily do three on the same sets and then just air it out a specific order if you want. So here's the thing. And this is also going to be mentioned when I do my next episode, which is if you were paying attention to the fact that I'm ranking these, the next one is obviously going to be Legends of the Hidden Temple. Guts was actually basically screwed over by Nickelodeon, and so was Legends of the Hidden Temple. And a second season of Global Guts was planned to be made, and a fourth season of Legends of the Hidden Temple was planned to be made. However, it didn't make it into the shooting schedule because Nickelodeon wanted to try ever other things, and by that, they mean that they canceled those two shows and made Figure It Out instead because Global Guts and Legends of the Hidden Temple were probably the two flagship shows, game shows, that Nickelodeon had at the time, but... I'm guessing, if I really had to put in a logical guess into this, is that it cost too much money to upkeep all of it when Figure It Out was massively scaled back in terms of set design and what the set was needed, and it was something new and different, so they scratched those two and put the money to Figure It Out and aired that as well. 
Which I'm not too upset because I did love figure it out. However, Guts and Legend of the Hidden Temple, in my opinion, were literally the absolute best games that best game shows. There we go. That they ever had. And I wish that they would bring it back. So in this case, I would go ahead and say the 90s called and I want Global's Guts back because it's a show that if they brought it back, I would want it to be brought back where it had Michael Bailey as the host, had Mo as the referee. You had, I wish they would do it where they would bring back the kids who competed on it before just to see how they would do as adults. Maybe even have it as the same rules or the same games. But the difference I would make it is that I would make it that the events were slightly harder. And by that, I mean a little bit more realistic. If you want to do the slam dunk one, make it an actual slam dunk contest. If you want to do one where they're kayaking across the surface of a pool, have them actually kayak. I'm vaguely remembering a commercial or the opening of the show where a girl in purple was hauling herself across the rope on top of the water in guts and that's got to be an event too because i remember that one obstacle course has to say the same agro crack has to say the same everything else that was the points the points the sports that they did make it that you're actually trying to do it without the help of harnesses i think that would be better for guts me i 100 percent would sign up for that show if you told me they were bringing it back i would sign up the, as fast as i possibly could I would love to be able to be on it so I can get my little competitive heart out there racing and beat everyone down as best as I can and be a gracious loser because I can be I can be a very gracious loser despite the fact that I really want to win when it comes to things like this. But I would be all for it. You just have to make it that Mike is there, Mo is there, keep the aggro crag, keep the obstacle course, make all the other events do it that you're actually doing the events and not being hoisted up by a harness. And then you got the perfect show for me. I even want the fake-ass aggro crag in there. Except this time, instead of just keeping the metal, you get a piece of the rock as well. Because we all deserve a piece of that freaking rock at this point. It is 2024. We deserve some sort of happiness in our lives. And if that means that I'm standing on top of that three-pronged podium with first, second, third place with a gold medal around my neck, I better be allowed to hoist a piece of that aggro crag above my head. Maybe a dream come true. A childhood dream come true. Thanks so much for listening to this episode, you guys. I know it was a little bit more lackluster compared to previous ones, but there wasn't really a lot of additional research that needed to be added into Guts. Really, if once once you see what you get with that show, knowing that, you know, there's waivers that had to be signed and they weren't going to kill anybody, the kids, and you probably got really harnessed in when you were trying to do those trick shots when it came to the basketball ones. But there wasn't really much anything that really need to go into research into this one. So it's a little bit of a shorter episode than some of my previous ones. But my love for the show is totally still there. I wish, 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 wish I could go back in time in the 90s and somehow get to Florida and be on that show. I wanted to be the person that won and have all my classmates watch me win and then go back and, you know, bask in that popularity a little bit of having been on the show and, you know, being able to win. I, in general, I just would love to compete. The 90s were all about competing in extreme sports and action sports and the World Cup, especially because of Ricky Martin's song, making it a very, very popular thing, and the Olympics. Going back to that time when everybody sat down and was glued to sports rather than being it being streamed everywhere, so you're talking about it maybe at this time and maybe at this time, it was like a primetime thing. Everybody was all for it, and I really want the feeling of that back. Like... You have no idea. I kind of wish we had that camaraderie back for everything. If you told me about the Olympics now, I'd be like, okay, cool. And not really care about it until my sp- 
to my favorite event came up. But back then, if you were, if you didn't watch the Olympics even a little bit, then you weren't able to talk about it with people the next day. And now it's just, everything seems kind of disjointed because you can just stream everything and you don't really get that water cooler effect anymore. So if you really want to get an idea of what it was like, especially for kids, just watch Guts and Global Guts and watch these kids compete and project yourselves onto these kids and figure out that you can do it better than them and hope to God they bring the show back so you can compete as an adult. Thank you so much for joining me for this episode of the 90s called I hope that you guys enjoyed it. I hope that you were able to relive a little bit of this show that I think a lot of people do tend to actually forget. I hope that you enjoyed any of the previous episodes that I have on here talking about things that you may or may not have forgotten about our time in the 90s. And I hope you continue to stick around for some future episodes where we talk about a lot, a lot of fun things. I do have a lot of episodes that I've had plans of. Even more when I'm just talking to my friends that pop up. I'll write it in a little note on my phone. But I'm also completely open for suggestions. The next episode that I have coming up is actually a suggestion that I got from a listener, which then made me want to do this series of episodes that talked about kids' game shows in general. So if you have an idea or you want to talk about something, hit me up on all my socials. I do have a Facebook and Instagram, where it's the 90s called pod for both. I do also have the 90s called pod at gmail.com if you want to just send me in some of your memories from the 90s. I am primarily more available to talk to you guys and answer messages through my Instagram. And I absolutely love the stories and memories that I'm able to impart in you guys. It's a lot of fun to relive all of this, and I'm having so much fun talking about it with you. And if that's all for you all, thanks for listening, and have a good day.